UtilityMuffinLabs.com is the source for podcasts like 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, the NerdWords podcast, and the Playing Hooky podcast, to name a few. We offer gaming, music, and pop culture content, as well as graphic and audio design, voice talent, and more. Go to UtilityMuffinLabs.com to commission us for your audio needs, digital artwork, and advertising opportunities. UtilityMuffinLabs.com, consistently rated adequate. This is 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective podcast brought to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective podcast. I'm Nathan. And I'm Bob. And man, we've been off for a little over a month now and enjoyed our holiday. Um, we actually haven't talked that much, Bob, so I'll use this opportunity now to ask you if anything cool, fun, interesting happened during your holiday break. Yeah. A lot of drinking uh, occurred <laughs> uh, during the holiday break. I wasn't quite um, sure where you were going to go with that. <laughs> I, 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 won't, I won't say that it was bad. No, nah, it's with family, you know. We yeah. were hanging out. I hit that point where, I, duh, right? You're 21. You're at that point, but where you know, family's just like, ah, you're you're like us, right? You're like us. You you know what? Life life has used you enough. How about a nightcap? How about a drink <laughs> with dinner? How about some more wine? How about we drink while we talk and talk while we drink? Hey, you're a little low. Let me refill you up. Don't worry. There's a guest room and the whole nine. And I'm like going, yeah, yeah, I'll right. do it. Participate. Right. Both feet. It was a good time. It was a really, really good time. And, that's uh, cool. That's awesome, you know. Well, well, I, I heard, I heard in, in your neck of the woods. I don't know if you've had the opportunity to take advantage of it yet, but uh, in your neck of the woods, where you're at, um, something I did over the the holiday break is now legal where you are, um, and that is the uh, the marijuana industry has uh, opened its doors in Illinois. What I will tell you <laughs> is uh, is yes. Um, rumor has it, this has been going on and is not news to the majority of the people I know, but, <laughs> but they're happy. They can't go to jail now for it. Um, what I, what I will also tell you is that if you ever, ever are going to take an edible and you were mm -hmm. not a daily user, yeah, the recommended doses is five milligrams. Okay. It's yeah. like a slice. It's a slice of the little cube that you get that tastes like watermelon. Do not eat half. <laughs> if you eat half, you will lose a day and believe you're going to die. You won't die. No one ever ODs no, from it. No, no, you won't, you won't I, die. I survived the encounter myself, but you will lose a day. For whatever reason, you go to Naptown and you, you basically uh, you, you rent a day. <laughs> not and, not and you, Indianapolis. You don't go to Indianapolis Naptown. No, you go no. to Sleepy Sleepy Naptown. <laughs> sleepy Sleepy Naptown. You wake up feeling refreshed and wonderful. And your body's relaxed and wondering how you didn't piss yourself because you literally are in a coma <laughs> for like twenty plus hours. Like where where I don't know what happened. Well, it's we, one of those. We uh, we had the opportunity to be in a location, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more in a different podcast. But we had the opportunity, myself and my significant other, to travel to not not necessarily the West Coast, but pretty damn close to the West Coast, to hop, skip, and a jump away from it. And we were in Vegas for a month. 
and marijuana is legal there recreationally, medicinally, whatever. And, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not a big pot guy. Um, you know, just truth be told, I'm just not a big consumer of it. I don't particularly enjoy it. But when you're in Rome, you know, you do as the Romans, try it out, right? So we're there, and um, I had a variety of different issues, uh, some of which I'm still dealing with. But I was like, this seems like the perfect opportunity to eat a gummy. And, you know, I had a five milligram gummy. We bought some cookies and some gummies. We, we spent like 40 bucks, 50 bucks, and they gave us free weed. They're just giving it out. They're just like, here, have some. And uh, the first couple of nights, I took these gummies right before I went to bed. And um, by the time I fell asleep, those gummies hadn't kicked in yet. So I was asleep when they kicked in. So basically, it like kept me asleep. You know what I yes. mean? Like it, it made me pass out, kept me asleep, which is what I needed at the time. And then the third night I got like, I got cocky. I was like, I've been, I've been taking these two nights in a row. I'll just have one like an hour before I go to bed. And then before I knew it, I was like slowly crawling my way up into bed, like, <laughs> like balling the blanket up around my head. Like, Oh, and you know, uh, Rachel, she's like, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm really, really stoned. <laughs> and like I said, I'm not a consumer. So like, I really haven't like gotten stoned since I was like a teenager. And it was just like, not what I was expecting. <laughs> it hits so, you harder. Yeah. Right? That's, that's yeah. the warning. It hits you harder. I mean, your body digested, you will use every bit of that gummy. <laughs> yeah, it definitely does. It, yeah. And, but, you know, I woke up, felt great the next day. So, you know, that's, uh, I guess it had its intended result one way or the other. Um, oh, yeah. But I, I did end up to come home with a, a cold still. So if I sound a little nasally, that's why. It's been quite a month. And like I said, we'll, we'll probably get into it on a different podcast, one that's not so book review centric. Um, but if you'll humor me, I've got a lot of things to read out. Um, if that's cool with you, Bob. Um, yes. All right. So first of all, um, you know, we, we have a ton of people that support us on Patreon and sometimes they stack up and I miss people and we don't give them their shout out. So I figured first podcast of the year, I'm just going to go through the list and I'm going to thank everybody that's currently a patron of ours. So please I don't know. It'd probably take like three minutes. If you don't want to hear it, if you don't want to hear your name, just skip ahead. But I'm going to go through here and we're going to thank everybody and then we'll move on. Cool. So thank you all of our Patreon supporters. Uh, A. Jones, Adam Page, Andrew Deere, Andrew Kempf, Ann Wagner Stoll, Austin Ricketts, Beliza, Ben Vili, Benjamin Angus Tucker Russell, Bill Durfee, Brandon H., Brennan Willingham, Bubba the Pale One, but we sacredly love True Bruja, and I really appreciate them continuing to support us, because that's the best name ever. <laughs> C.T. Phipps, Carrie Cube, Chad Register, Chris Rakoski, Christian G., Christoph Hagstrom, Christopher O'Neill, uh, Christopher Sorensen, and if, we, if I screw up any of the names, I'm not perfect, so my apologies. Christopher Wong, Corey Mason, Crystal Chappelle, D.E. Wright, Dante P.D., and Dead Game Society. Thank you for supporting us, continuing to support us. I believe Chad has been like a supporter of us since the day, day we one. opened it. Day um, one. Yeah. Donald Weller, Dylan, Dylan uh, Branahan, Branigan, 
Dylan Brannigan, Dylan William Haney, Edward Robert Palmer, Elijah Davis, Eric Lucas, Eric Topp, Philippe Rodriguez, Gavin Henson, Gogo Bacala, Goat Man of Coffee. <laughs> Love that name. <laughs> Greg Collins, Heather Rosman, Heinrich Hoffman, uh, our, our friend from Brazil, Herbert, sorry, this one is a tongue t- twister, Herbert Gilbarto Villan Sanchez. And I only pay it special attention because I know it's a fake name. Uh, <laughs> Harafin Rowdy, Ian, Ian Hammond Hogan, Isaac Page, Jack Pacer, Jacob Kalander, Jason McKean. Isaac Page, <laughs> I really wish your name was Isaac Hayes because I feel like <laughs> I feel like it wants to be. But please continue. It's cool um, also, uh, as an as a side note, I, Isaac, I believe I still have a book that belongs to you. So um, let me know how you want to get it. Something you want at Gen Con. So uh, let me know. John Acker, John Sprang, Jonathan Arend, Juiced Vervoort. Juiced Vervoort. I, I hope I pronounced that correctly because it's a cool name. Uh, Jork McGork. <laughs> <laughs> Jordan Etherington, Jordan Hawkins, Joseph Beckett, Joseph West, Josh Hanley, Josh Scharf, Joshua Walters, Juanina Nesbitt, Kane Fenton, Kelly Jacobson, Kevin J. Parker, Kim Ciccone, King Gobbler. Uh, I believe he's uh, some sort of goblin. Um, Kumina, Kung Fu Fenris, Kyle Jennings, Lacey Anglin, Larry Detterman, Lee Morrissey, Lee Tate, Luke Kellette, Marcel Fontanez, Martin Huchper. I, I know I pronounced your name incorrectly. My apologies. Um, but that's what it looks like in my brain. Uh, Matt Ball, Matthew Marr, Michael Brosens, Michael J. Maselli, Michael Moore, MLP. Moa, uh, I don't know how you pronounce your last name, so I'm just going to say Bath because that's what it looks like to me. Mr. Crowley, Mr. Adelaide, Nicholas Mullenweg, Nicholas uh, Alonghi, Nick Clare, Nigel Cavanaugh. Patrick Meehan, Patrick Sandoval, Phil Clark, Podcast by Night, Rachel M. Richardson, Ramon, Red Wolf, Reed K. Nolan, Ripper, Robert Ruggles, Ronald Loop, uh, L-O-U-P-E, Loop, Russell Harding, Ryan Neff, Sam Damon, Scotty underscore G, because why not be thorough, Sean, Sergi, Shannon Rukert, Simon Dugard. Wait a minute, wait a minute. There was just someone named Sean. Sean, S-E-A-N. All right. Yep. Thank you, Sean. And and, and I have the emails here in front of me, too, and there's no further, like, there's nothing further to really explain. It's just Sean, S-E-A-N. Thanks, Sean. You know who you are. It's Buffy. We good. (laughs) S-L-128. You also know who you are. Spiros Lucas, Tandy Moore. Terry Robinson, Thomas Douglas, Tim Walker, Tony McDowell, Tony McMahon, Twin Cities by Night, because, thank you, you guys are awesome, Tyler Bryan, William Carson, William West, Wilson McGyver, no relation, uh, Ives Cambrone, Zachary Kelsey, and 066. So, thank you guys very much, and uh, hopefully the list grows even greater in the tw- in 2020. And... Next game session, game session, 
My brain, dude. <laughs> Next pod, um, do me a favor. There's some weddings that did happen. Mm-hmm. However, we just sent you on Discord. It's your Discord name. Yeah. I don't want to do a disservice to your wife or husband in that capacity. Um, please send us your actual names. Yeah. If you both prefer to have a like a fakeish name, that's yeah. Yeah. understandable. Just, but please if you give just us want like a sorry. No, I'm just saying. Just please send us the correct one. Uh, we want to give respect to your union, and uh, we do appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you if you guys uh, you know are on our Discord, um, we tend to know you by your Discord name, and there's this weird kind of like disassociation between Discord and Patreon. Like Patreon is very like this is who it is, and then Discord is like we get to talk to you and interact with you. So let us know. Send us your information. Um, and we definitely want to give you those shout outs. Um, I mean, we couldn't have this podcast without, you know, not only the people that support us at Patreon, which is awesome, but just you people that listen, if you want to ask us questions, if there's, uh, an event you want us to give a shout out to don't hesitate. All right. Now for some meat and potatoes, we have a question, um, a question and, and maybe like a bit of a criticism as well. And, and that's fine. Um, but I thought it would be uh, worthwhile to ask considering what we're going to review today. Uh, all right. So this is from Christopher Izzy. Uh, he says, Hey, Nate and Bob, longtime vampire fan. And I'm a huge fan of the podcast. Y'all are the gold standard for all things vampire. I, I can't say that. Thank you very much. That's like the nicest thing anybody's ever said. Thank you. That being said, I just listened to your review of the V5 Cam and Anarch books and you see how it went there. He said, that yep. being said, <laughs> so, like now yeah. you got your sugar. Here's the fist. <laughs> right. A hundred percent agree that they are flaming. Pi- this is his words, flaming piles of garbage that would make Kane himself. Rashrak. I don't know if I agree with that assessment. I don't know how, if you agree with that assessment, I, I've never said that, but that's, uh... but I don't think that we, either of us think that they're great uh, in the way that we reviewed them. That being said, I think you guys really missed something in the review. It's how the alliance of the Ashira, the inclusion of the Banu Hakim, and the exit of the Bruja Gangrel have fundamentally changed the Camarilla. It just won't look the same when the Lasambra join later. Uh, it makes even more sense why all of a sudden a religious influence takes hold. Also, uh, no one better than vampires knows how good faith can be used to control the masses, which in an age when the Second Inquisition is a threat is needed more than ever. Uh, I wish you guys had talked about that more on the podcast. For this reason, I think that's what makes the Anarch book even worse because of the inclusion of the ministry and the newfound Bruja and Gangrel influx. The Anarchs are just the same as always, uh, as they always were to me, which is why I just call the book Anarch the Letdown. I still love the podcast and you guys rock. So let's unpack a couple of things there. Um, as far as the faith is concerned, I feel like we did kind of go over that in our review of the Camarilla. Now, it's been about a year since we did that review, so I don't know for sure, but... Um, we did. Yeah, I feel like we did We did address that. The Anarch book, it had a lot of, it had a lot of issues in and of itself, right? Like, it just, it just, you know, go ahead. I, I, it's, it's New Year, New Resolution, in my opinion. It's, uh, I take my hat off to Mr. Dawkins. I took this pill... Uh, listening to the last interview we did with him where we uh, we enjoyed Chicago by Night, right? We talked yeah. about it a lot there, too. Um, but one of the things that he had kind of gave our way was the fact that when you listen to someone's opinion, mm-hmm. you have to take into fact that it's their opinion. Right. It's just one perception. It doesn't make it incorrect, but you take it in consideration to forward activity. Right. Right? So, <clears throat> excuse me. 
No, no problem. So that's what I'm saying. I'm here when I hear about the uh, the Anarch review we did and the Camarilla book review we did. I'm remembering stuff we said, I said personally. And when it comes to the religion and vampires, I just... Here's the bottom line. Officially, it's dorky. <laughs> to me, okay? It's dorky. Let me explain. If you're immortal, the whole point of a god was that you couldn't see it, it's not tangible, it's never there, you never could deal with it, but yet you exist. Right. So it's this big mystery to figure out your place in the world. That drew to every teenage, angst, adult, lost, or whatever, that ever, every human being can relate to that. Mm-hmm. And so it made it, you know, digestible. When suddenly we made it, now nah, there's a religion where Methuselahs are there. You took him out of the cosmos and put it as like the President of the United States. None of us will ever shake the President of the United States' hand or if you if you lean over and do it, thank you for listening. And uh, that's 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 sort of how I see it. Like it's it, they're now touchable, right? And when you put it that way, it's like okay, cool. So there's Methuselahs, there's religions about them, but these guys have been in print. Ah, eh, whatever. Ultimately, that's where my mind went. I said, right. well, I'm like not a fan of it because it doesn't seem enough to whatever. But here's one thing that I did say. I remember us saying this, mm-hmm. or I feel we said it in in many different ways. Possibly we yeah. do that sometimes. You, with the book, the cult of the blood gods isn't out, right? Right, exactly. Right, that's what that's what ties everything together. We're listening to. You can't take two books that lay the seeds for a book coming and not know. We won't right. know the totality of V five and have that opinion. And it's something Nate said multiple times. We're getting pieces of the puzzle, not the full picture. Right, it, and because it, of that, you go ahead. No, and because of that, it's hard to give a hard answer one way or the other. I, All we I, could do opinion so far yeah i think that you're 100 right on that um when we talk about what the camarilla will look like when the la sombra join we're we're being t- today we're going to review a book that gives us an idea of what the camarilla looks like and uh, to be quite honest i don't think it's that different than the camarilla we've grown up knowing um we can't we can't speculate on how religion has changed or how the la sombra will morph the Camarilla in a religious way because that book just doesn't exist yet. Um, and, and truth be told, like the, the, the Camarilla, the reason why I, I kind of felt like I've always had like a little bit of an issue, um, you know, with the conservative nature, uh, the change to the Camarilla um, with V5 to a more conservative bent was because that religion and that um, that sort of zealotry was reserved for the Sabbat, which are the enemy of the Camarilla, right? The Camarilla's foundation, the foundational, the just the 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 way that they were built was built in a way that said these things don't exist. We don't right. worship them. So you know to say like, well, you know now now it's kind of suddenly changed because of the Second Inquisition. Um, I think it's fun, but I don't necessarily agree with it. And, and here's the deal. It's not that it's necessarily uh, it changed. All things evolve. Right. Even organizations, they adapt and they get older. Think on that. The Camarilla couldn't stay just a political platform for others to get together and share blood. It couldn't stay there. Right. Eventually, someone right. wins their little jihad. Someone dies. Someone goes into torpor. And that new blood takes it in a different direction. Now, granted... It's not exactly what happened. A lot more changes occurred. Well, actually, with the beckoning, you, you get the idea. Right. Point is, keep an open mind, see where it goes. And as always, and as always, when you don't like it, remember you can change it. Right. 
I stated this in our Discord, and I'm going to use it again. They don't own the book. You do. <laughs> right. Right? They made the content, you bought it, and at that point, that version of the book is yours to do with how you do. Here's the funny thing about it, too. Um, we've read so many books that maybe we didn't realize at first that the golden rule was the golden rule until they established it as like, as always, this is the golden rule. Keep what you like, discard the rest. Because Bob's right. White Wolf, Onyx Path, Modiphius, uh, Martin Erickson, your buddy Tom down the street, none of them owe the, own the story you tell. That's your story. You right. use this as, as influence, right? Bob and I, we've had the luxury of growing up near the real city of Chicago. You bet your bottom dollar when we run this game, there's going to be things that we go, hey, they didn't include this in the book. How dare they? And what do we do? We include them. <laughs> right. You know? We just put it in. Right. You know, if if Bob says, you know, I, I want them to go. I want I want my vampires to go down to the jewel. And then I want them, you know, to, to stop in Osco and pick up some drugs. Like, that's what they're going to do. Right. White Wolf can't tell him, you can't do that. That's not that's not what we wrote in right. the book. You know, if I want to go to Burger King and not O'Tully's, I'm going to go to Burger King. Like, that's just the <laughs> truth. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's really all I have to yeah, say about that's, that. Yeah, that, that's really all needs to be said. I think uh, by now uh, we've tortured people enough. And by torture, use that loosely. A lot of people want to say, get to the book, get to the book. And uh, barring anything else you had in mind, oh, maestro, I'm uh, I'm all good. No, my sir, my, my, sir, my friend, uh, I'm ready to, to do this review. So um, I do actually have one question to ask you. Um, yes. Some people may want to know, like, hey, why did we wait so long to review this book? Do you want to, like, make any comments about that? Yeah, I do. Um, it comes from a, a business sense. Here's what it is, is that we're not part of all these companies we do review books for. It's that simple. And I'm going to tell you flat out, whenever we get a preview of a book and we look at it, if they ask us, hey, could you please, you know, here's here's the here's the stuff early. Could you review this for us to your, to your listeners? We, you'd be big thanks. You know, here's a copy. Here's a free copy for your company, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Absolutely. <laughs> right, we're right. on board and we'll do it. If you're sort of like... Uh, Hey man, we're cool. We got all this going on. Isn't it awesome? Isn't it awesome? Sure, I bet it is. Right? Have you heard of it? I guarantee I've heard of it. Hey, would you? Be- no, not until it's officially released and been out for a bit. Yeah. yeah. I Why? Because uh, we're we're consumers at that point. Right. And as consumers, we haven't digested it yet. Have we talked about it? Sure. We got excerpts. You know, here's a preview. What do you think of that? We've had people ask us. We've mentioned here and there. There have been interviews with authors themselves have talked about it. And that's there. And and it's not a matter of boo-hoo, we weren't asked. It was a matter of they were already sending us back and forth all over the place. And we had a lot of stuff going on. And we said to ourselves, we'll stay true to right. what we do. And if they want to ask us, then we'll do it. Yeah. But before then, that's that. And I, and I want to let on to one thing. Um, all it takes is for us also, we're, we're human beings, we're not perfect. If we've reviewed something and it didn't go to their flavor, um, maybe they, that's why. You know, we weren't asked to do it, and that's fine with us as a company. We're okay with that. Right. You know? we, we aren't, we aren't um, our schedule for podcast recording isn't like beholden to anybody. But like, I know personally, um, you know, I, I said, yeah, it's great that this is available to people that back the Kickstarter. Like, of of course, but we're not. Re- why would we review a book to people who backed it on Kickstarter? Why Why would we do you 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 backed it on Kickstarter? So right. you you already spent your money. 
You know, the truth of the matter is when we review books, we review books because we want people that aren't playing or aren't invested in the game to play and to invest. We want people to join in the hobby that we we appreciate, that we've spent so much time with. So now that to, they're about to – go ahead. To let you know, Nate, though, the one thing that I know the fans tell us often, all mm-hmm. the time, in fact, and it doesn't matter if it's White Wolf, D&D, doesn't matter. We are always asked our opinion on a book. Right. The assumption is, is that we read all this stuff. The answer is most of it you're correct. Right. However, we like to hold that for a podcast. However, that doesn't mean you don't you don't ask us because sometimes <laughs> we don't know. Please right. keep those info channels open. Right. Keep those discussions going. But the point is this, Nate. We mm-hmm. have to be aware of one thing. We are here because people want our opinion. Right. Right? That's the point. We know all of you want our opinion. That's why you listen. That's that's why it's here. Oh, and we yeah, try to, of course. And it, but why I say that is because it's not necessarily just about reviewing material before or after. It's they want our opinion. And it's, can you can you please review this? And hey, we love to do it. But we wanted to wait till the final product, right? not a preview, the final product, to truly read it all. And and that's that's all of the reasons I could think of off the top of my head why we had said through previous meetings, yeah. hey, we're going to do this now. Well, I, I think, too, that uh, just like the release schedule of kickstarter books makes it a little weird like i like i intend once once the like the fall of london whatever that book is called i I think it might be just called the fall of london i I, like once that book comes out like i want to review it right away like i want to review that because it'll be on the market it'll be fresh get our perspective but with these kickstarter ones it's kind of like it's out but it's like it's not out you know it's like it's kind of there but it's not there and to me this book is really important from my perspective from playing v5 the reason why it's important is because i've been a little lukewarm on all the previous v5 material like i haven't been against it i haven't been like anti v5 but i've been a little lukewarm and so this one where like i can get a a sense of what where the game is today in in the canon what is happening in the world of darkness right now this was pretty important for me. I, w- I want to preface this by giving a hats off to the writers uh, for Chicago by Night before we dive into it. Um, after reading the book in its entirety um, for the second time, I sat there and said to myself, because by the way, I did kick, I had kickstart preview the whole nine. Um, so we digested it. Not much was changed. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm happy for that because I was raving like a raving lunatic at how much I loved the content. I still feel that way. Yeah, and going over it a second time and it polished and it's nuanced and how it looks, I adore it. Mm-hmm. Right, it's it's a great book for everything Nate said, and also because the writers clearly put in a just a clinic right. of how to research and attach what's relevant. Important thing when writing from fiction for research always is when you pull from truth, you have to make it enough fiction to still be relevant and entertaining, and know what to exclude. And they do it in such a way that allows room for your imagination and your story. That's hard to do. And to all of you, thank you. It's yeah. a labor of love, and you can tell that. It's well done. Yeah. Um, and I think, uh, you know, we can get right into um, some of these stories. So the first um, uh, section is called Four Trips to the Second City. And this first story here is about the Wolf Pack. And if you don't know about the Wolf Pack, y'all need to do some homework. <laughs> so what is it? The Wolf Pack is Anthea, Dread, Tyrus, and Ramrod. Ramrod. Mm-hmm. And they are they are awesome. They're archons. Yep. First and, and foremost, they they play pop, a prominent role in the first and second version of Chicago by Night. Now the thing about this is that it wastes no time at all throwing you into the action, right? 
Um, what the what this story is about is exactly what these guys feel about Anarchs. Right? I'm going right. to tell you that straight up. It's about them. Uh, basically, they're like the sons of anarchy immortals. Right. Is what I felt it read like, right? They're going to, excuse me, they're going to drive to this location. They're going to raise some hell. And that's just what they do. It's old hat. But it's dated. Right. Right? What do I mean by that? This story does an awesome thing. It highlights the fact that back in the 90s, or back in Loden's day, it might have been cool to kick indoors and rough some people up and be full of attitude and whatnot. That's great. That's awesome you guys did that. And that fear kept people in check, maybe. However, it's just not that era anymore. Right. What you did was you went to a bunch of Anarchs ready to war. Right. You went to a group of people who you thought you were going to step on, and these guys are going to band together and raise hell now. What you did was a shot across the bow, and they're going to answer in kind. And that's that's part of the story, right? And they, they see immediate results, right? And uh, I won't ruin that story. I'm trying to be as general as possible. Yep. But they, they give you that insight, and it's an awesome takeaway as it paints an opening for what V5 is. Right. The next story um, is called Red Number 5, and it's about a club. It's about a nightclub. Um, one of the few, um, what we learn later on, vampiric-run nightclubs. And honestly, the nostalgia I got from reading this story, um, like, it immediately, it spoke to me in the language of this game. And, and that's really all I'm going to say about it, because... You know, it's a story about a nightclub and about vampires and feeding. And but, we did gush over this before, too. Yeah. Um, but uh, it immediately spoke to my nostalgia, and, you know, I, I definitely enjoyed it. Um, but then we get into Chapter 1 and the, the world of Chicago. And what, how would you describe this first chapter? I was very proud of, of this chapter when they started painting Chicago as a city. I feel it did, they did justice. Uh, they make you feel as if you were here. Um, and a lot of and a lot of elements in a lot of ways, at least the port stuff that matters, right? Yeah. Um, they hit from the scum of the city uh, to the upper echelons. They even hint the snooty side. I dearly enjoy their depiction of the Northsiders, right? <laughs> when they when they get there, you know how their shit doesn't stink uh-huh. and their and their can do attitude. Well, until they lose, of course, which is often. But the point is uh, that they they have a never say die mentality that is awesome. That speaks to the spirit of the city, and they break this up into sides. Previous Chicago books was kind of like, here's Chicago, here's the general statistics, here's a map, have at it. Right. And here are the characters. And it forced you to focus on the characters unless you were native to Chicago. <laughs> and then that other stuff, you can breathe life into it. Sorry. No problem. Pardon me. <laughs> this, this book takes it well beyond that. They say, hey, look, not only do we know the layout of the city, but we can tell you about the layout in a non-boring capacity. We can tell you that there's a direction and a mentality that they meant to build the city on. So you, who've never been here, can understand how it goes. Streets matter to denote territory. Right. Territory matters for stuff like gangs and feeding and where the rack is and, and whatnot. Instead of just saying what these places are and the buildings they're in, right. we actually give you an idea of where they're located. Put them where right. you like, though. Right. But it gives you a layout for it. In, in this, first, uh, this first chapter here, one of the things that I really like, and it's something that I kind of noticed that they did in a lot of the other... Um, v5 books and it's 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 something that i enjoy um and they've done it in some other books some more recent books too is give you little snippets right little Mm -hmm. conversation pieces little letters from this uh individual or transcripts from you know first light or you know all these little they're not telling you a linear story it's like you're opening a notebook and you're reading uh, little pieces little nuggets 
about the city, about the prince. We learn right away who the, the sheriff is. We learn, um, you know, who the prince is. We learn, um, we learn that maybe, okay, for sure, an old prince didn't die. Um, oh, I love Olaf. <laughs> it's he's so good in this book when he when he has he's his own slam poetry, folks. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. He's his own slam poetry. He's a dude. On, on the outs, who just literally... Oh, and by the way, did you catch where he's actually talking to Kevin Jackson? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so... Oh, it, so it, brilliant. It, it definitely gives me the impression in here that Kevin Jackson knows that that um, Olaf, or Loden, as we we, uh, we old hats know him, uh, isn't dead. However, he certainly isn't of the... Um, He's not of the height and value that he once was. Uh, more like a like a street king, like a, an old scarred pauper. You know, maybe he's just a madman. You know, we we don't know, but we know. Right. It's a it's classic. It's a it's a great tale that you, it's it's almost a Greek tragedy, right? Right. It's it's him sitting back teaching the young buck what's going on, and it gives reason as to why Kevin Jackson was able to take Princeton. Right. right, Not that everybody knew, but clearly out of nowhere, KJ gets his shit together and is able to make that bid. Yeah. And they tell you why, right? It's the backdrop of the Olympics and Chicago not getting it, that promise that was made, the influx and how that goes tits up. And he's able to take it, but it's strange where the backing came from, how he was able to do it, how he was able to stabilize it. It makes a lot more sense that there's a rumor that he could have been speaking to Olaf right. or, or, or listening to the wisdom Olaf was pitching. However... I don't want to. I don't want to skip this again. I keep forgetting it. But what's cool in here also, if you ever wondered how the Second Inquisition operates, in here they have tons of excerpts of First Light transcripts mm-hmm. of how they have some sort of program that scans uh, text messages on networks for specific keywords, which would be most likely the lexicon uh, they've caught for vampires using. Right. Which is why there's a second masquerade now. And more importantly, when they catch those excerpts, it's interesting because you want to know what happened. Right. From the beginning of how they act on this intel, or did they? You know, It makes right. sense that this organization wouldn't do anything first to build a bigger picture to decide what's relevant to it. Right. You know, and, and you get the distinct impression that there is a shadow war going on. Um, and when you have a shadow war, you know, it's not necessarily going to be an all-out fight in the streets between Inquisitors and vampires. It's, it's more than that. It's deeper than that. It's more subtle than that. Um, and it's definitely something you get you get the impression of. You get a multitude of different personalities sort of um, you know, being put on the bulletin board here as you read through and you you come to understand a little bit more about how these characters interact. It's like you're tuning in. Now, tidbit, why it's brilliant. I'm going to share one of my ideas I'm going to do for a future game. If you ever run a second Inquisition game and you know that book's got to be coming. Yeah. Uh, the fact yeah, is, sure. you can go back and use this book in particular, and hopefully they keep doing this with other books, take those excerpts as props yep. and use them around a, a surrounding plot. Like, you heard about this info, what do you guys want to do? Because some of them give actual coordinates to where these alleged meetings are going down, right. which which makes it fairly interesting. Yeah, I, I think that uh, maybe a lot of people don't don't contemplate that, but like just as fun as a vampire game is, it's <laughs> playing hunters of vampires is equally fun. Sometimes even more so because it's completely hair raising. Um, all right, so we move on to chapter two, which is called "Welcome to the Night," and this chapter is about the Lasombra. I uh, I twitched a lot reading this chapter. 
Um, and, and not and not for what you think. It was like, all right, it's their take on the Lasombra, and mine was very, I'll admit it, very nepotistic, egotistical, because uh, it was my favorite. They were the vampires of vampires and dark and, and scary and terrifying. And then I read this, and I said, these weak-ass Ventrue dark mother... <laughs> that's what i did i literally did i still hold that opinion i can't i can't soft cushion it i am one pundit screaming into the the into the night if you will uh uh-huh. the lasombra to me oh well let's go over their lasombra their yeah. lasombra here have some very steep not to talk over to you please and please bull me in as we do <coughs> sorry um, i'm too busy coughing <laughs> the lasombra here talk about their society right yeah. Uh, talk about why, and I think it'll make sense to go in this order. Well, why suddenly leave the Sabbat? They tell a story how the how one pack goes into the desert, right out in somewheresville in the Middle East because yeah. of this beckoning, and they're here to do the Gehenna War, and they're here to to stomp this thing out. And then they actually see this thing. They're in a village where the people are hiding if they're alive, or they're completely exsanguinated. Everybody's done in, right? And then they see this thing, and this thing. All the all the guy could focus on was its maw, and he felt the hunger of it, right? And how they were all going to go right down his throat. His entire pack gets eight, but him, and he doesn't know why it let him go. And he right. and he comes back, and he said, "Fuck that." He cool, went and told cool story, <laughs> right? He comes back and tells everybody, "Hey, we got it wrong. We could die. That's why the Sombra are leaving." And and Bob said, "Emma Newton better." <laughs> Hold on. So let me get this straight, Jack. You alone go to the desert, not with the army of the Sabbat. Yeah, yeah. But your pack. Well, yeah, my pack. <laughs> your, your, your pack goes walking out into the desert, and they're looking right, around. Right. right. And, and they said, wait, we've dodged the Asimites. We've dodged the Sedites. We're out here. The Cambril is out here. We're ducking from him. And uh, we're, we're looking for this elder because we're going to kill him. We know nothing about him. We're just going to walk up. Hey, elder, time to die. And when you see him, he kills you. Yeah, they tell you that in the black hand. <laughs> they tell you that 100%. That's going to happen every time. No right. rinse, no repeat. That's happened to countless uh, Sabbat packs in any crusade anywhere who's gone after a prince off the bat with no intel. Right. Aha! We got you, prince. We're going to eat you. Actually, my name's Marcus Vittel Sejanus. I tell you this because now you're dead. Right. Get how that goes? So I'm sitting here going, wait a minute. One guy's meeting in a desert comes back. And it's not one guy's meeting. All right, I'm extrapolating, but to pull it to bring it in, basically he says one story, and another story could be that as they gazed out at the, the Sabbat themselves, this is the Amici Noctis or the Amici, the Amici Noctis or however you said it, Friends of the Night. Friends of the Night. <laughs> they look out and they see the Sabbat and they see how they're progressively losing themselves to the beast. They're becoming right. more and more monstrous because this war is taking its toll on them. Right. And that's what's going on. Except I also said, hang on. And it makes sense. You develop paths for them to go to, to guide them, to forge those veterans. Basically, you call the you cut the wheat from the shaft, right? If they're so inhumane they can't control themselves, you just kill them. And those who adapt to codified belief system, that's what those belief systems were there for. That's why you went to these churches to make these paths, is because you knew this already. You, the Lasombra, laid the groundwork for this to happen. In right? one of your in one of your own chapels. So why why is this going on? And so that didn't make sense to me. And then they give another pitch. And that other pitch is quite simply we're done with it. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? That's the that's the one that makes sense to Bob. That I could see the Lasombra gazing out at everything, 
It's been 500 years, five centuries, made a good go of it. And as I look at this, huh. Right. Yeah, and, what do we have for it? And, and, and I got I to gotta admit, the only thing that makes sense to me, why the Lissambra would leave the Sabbat, is because the Lissambra said the Sabbat is no longer worth controlling. Right. It's simply no longer worth it. So, yeah, in that sense, it makes sense. Because I'm right there with you. You know, I let you go on your on your well-deserved rant because I strongly agree with you. Uh, one of the biggest issues that I've had with V5 is that I've felt that the Sabbat has um, not even been like a secondary concept. It's just been like... You know, it's just been it's just been a fart and a promise. It's just been like, meh, the Sabbat, they went to the Middle East and they're dead. You know, whatever. Right. They're they're not an issue. Let's not worry about that. And getting a little bit of an idea as to now, I don't I don't think that uh the Lasombra are out of line for having that perspective. No. Um I, I think that with with all of the the civil wars and the fighting, I don't think the inhumanity of the Sabbat would be reason enough for, for the Lissambra to leave. However, the inhumanity coupled with the end game of what the Sabbat is bound to eventually become, when there's nothing left to control, what is the point? At the end of the day, right? To put it another way, because that's exactly right. It, to put it another way, we originally joined the Anarch Revolt to throw off the shackles of the Antediluvian just like everybody else. Mm -hmm. We allegedly killed ours, except this long in the game, we've discovered something. No, we haven't. Nobody wants to say it. Nobody wants to utter it. Nobody wants to realize it, but clearly we haven't. Right. Because where have, where have we gone with our freedom? Right. Shouldn't we not have an organization like the Camarilla? Should we not have things in cities and, I don't know, um, live like elders? No, we're not doing that. What's happening is, is our own youth are learning to get strengthened and then to look at us as something to rip down and devour. We're recreating what the Camarilla has avoided, right? They already made a union. The Camarilla said, here's a society where you can compete eternally, but you're on your own merit, not packed together. Over here, you're in a pack, which we give you the drains to eventually oppose. That's what's going on. And you can see it amongst the factions, and particularly why the largest, the loyalists, are really going to gain that groundwork eventually. And, and, and maybe they're just paranoid. Let's add all that together. But the point is, if you're the Lasombra and you added the organization, the ecclesiarchy, the mentality, the guidance, the influential control that the Sabbat needed over the humans, hmm. you realize something. All you are is a Camarilla clan that didn't join the Camarilla. Right. At the end of the day, you were the one clan that said, well, if the Venture over here, we got these guys. Right. But what are the Zemis? Are those good bedfellows? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, and they never have been. <laughs> and anybody that disagrees, well, <laughs> clearly you haven't been reading the same books we have. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And so, so when, go ahead. Oh no, I was just gonna. I was just. So when you're the Camarilla, though, when you hear the pitches of the cam, actually, when you read that letter from Tally the Hound, right, right, and he's like, after all I've done. Everything I did, all the murdering I've had to do, bodyguarding, protection, go here, go that, do this, do that. You've given me everything I've ever wanted in this Sabbat. And then suddenly, because you're, we're flipping to the Camarilla, now one of you is going to call for my death because they want it in a war you put me in? Right. This is where the brilliance comes in. What they did, and here's what I will say for them that they can't say. They actually give you something really brilliant for people like Bob. You're a super fan of the Sombra. Prove it. Right. If you're such a fan, then oppose yourself. 
If you're such a fan, then show us what the Lasombra can't show opposing other clans. Right. The only way the best of the best becomes interesting is if they compete for top spot amongst themselves. Right. And it gives all the Lasombra players to battle these NPCs or match wits with a storyteller or tell these fantastic tales. Um, Inter-clan strife, which is what the Lasombra are ironically known for. If you read any of their clan books, that struggle is what they're about. And when you, they basically give it back to them. And the fact they're joining the Camarilla. Why? The Camarilla are not idiots. Right? You, you want to join us? Nate, you're the Sombra you're going to join. I got some rules for you. Ready? <laughs> right. Rule number one, you have to kill one elder per one member that wants to join. That might be a little difficult. <laughs> hey, you want to join, buddy? Hey, fuck That's it. the bar. That's on you, dude. Hey, but there's more. You're an elder. We know that. Kill another one. You're in. All right. You're in, but almost. Right. Now we need you to submit to a blood bond. Right. And you chortle, right? You're like, yeah, sure, no problem. Because the Viniculum does make you immune to any future blood bonds. Yeah, but you're Cam. You don't know that. So, yeah, we agree to it. Yeah, we're good. All right. There's more, buddy, because you're still smiling. Right. You're still good with this. <laughs> so uh, if there's any infraction of the, of the traditions, you're dead. Right. We did no warning. Nothing. You're just, you're blood hunted. Right. And you sit there looking at them. Are, are we done yet? No, no, there's more. And there's and they just keep throwing them on, right? Right, right. Keep throwing them on. When the Lasombra frowns is when we've reached an agreement. Right. <laughs> right? You will serve Aventru. That's what will happen. Your blood bond to Aventru specifically. Right. And any what was what they say specifically, Camilla in Rome deviously and immediately agreed to it because he got his own Lasombra. And yes, I got the gender correct this time, folks. Yeah, he agreed to his own Lasombra finally. <laughs> I was I was sitting there going, I wanna I wanna see that story now. I wanna hold them to that short story. Someone right. has to write, Camilla gets his due. Right. After Sparta, after the fall of Rome, he still didn't get his Lasombra here in twenty twenty. So the cool thing about this is this is only one chapter uh, dealing with the Lasombra. So this is basically, this chapter is kind of the meat and potatoes. This is the story of the Lasombra, at least according to this this one member of the clan. Um, but there's more about the Lasombra later on because, as you know, based on the books that you've read already, all the V5 material, there isn't a clan write-up. So we actually get that in this book. Um, however, that's... Over there, this is right here. So chapter three is the city. So this is the this is the story of the city. And they tell the story of the city in a way that I find very interesting. And it's the story of the flag of the city. And it's told from that perspective. And, um, you know, obviously, you're going to learn a lot about this city as you read it. Um, but it goes through and tells the story of the flag, the fifth star. And... Um, you know, how there are four red stars on the flag, and for years they've put up, you know, the the this is the reason why we should add a fifth star, and these are all what Bob was talking about, like the Olympics and, and those things being offered. They talk about the field of white, and that goes into some of, like, the truths and lies about, the, about Chicago. Um, and um, I got to say, like, reading through this chapter here, I definitely felt like, Whoever whoever was responsible for writing this definitely did a pretty decent amount of research. We kind of talked about it earlier, um, but you know this talks about um, another thing that's in here too: homesteading. And I don't believe that's something that existed in V five up until this point. 
uh, where no. kind of like you can kind of like build the area of the domain and like what the value of that domain is and what goes along with it. Um, if you're into if you're into points and stats and backgrounds and stuff like that, city building, yeah, then cool. Uh, that's awesome. Um, not really something I've ever needed in a game, um, but you know, lots of people like their dots. So. <laughs> Um, homesteading it is yeah uh also uh just a real quick aside the artwork in here i think is is very great it's great it's just awesome uh it's my one of my favorite parts one of my favorite pictures is the wrigleyville picture yeah (laughs) where it finally reveals what bloodsuckers cub fans are (laughs) (laughs) uh but it talks about a bunch of the different neighborhoods the sides um, you know, the south side, the north side, the west side, and even the um, the east side, which kind of exists and kind of doesn't. Um, and, you know, talks about, uh, um, you know, the different places that you can go to. Go ahead. A uniqueness that is this put here. Um, a lot of people have screamed, how do we live in the Second Inquisition? How do we get messages out? How do we know? Um, the Marks. It's a whole chapter here. Well, I would say it's in chapter three. Right. It's its own section. It talks about the fact that uh, people have learned to actually use graffiti right. uh, to tag different buildings to let you know what Elysia are. Uh, so Anarchs use this on uh, certain uh, places to, uh, well, to know all sorts. There's also a, a, a something to do with glass. I forget the name. Is it, is it fading? Is that what they call it? Uh, yeah, like etching. You know, yeah, so, some, something etching, like that. Etching, fading. Uh, they do that to mark an establishment. So you might do it in your domain to note it as yours. Yeah. Right? In an obvious place. You pay to have this put up somewhere else or you and you know coerce or whatever you right. do uh to get it out there and some places have uh you could use a building a dilapidated building as an example uh, you know someone knows that that building used to belong to you or whatever whatever you want to it opens up the fact that you could do more than send a text message use tinder to right. get a, to get a message out to someone on social media uh, you know they could be there and actually see it and know right right and i that was uh, if we go back to our v5 review i believe that was one of the things I always thought was like, like when I read that in the V5 book, I was like, no shit. Like, obviously, why wasn't that something that was focused on before? Don't know. Don't, <laughs> but, like, don't know. But it was like, see, it's like, seems so obvious. Like, of course, the vampires would use some sort of language. Like, you're potentially thousands of years old. There's all kinds of things you should be able to express in ways that normal humans can't understand. I don't know why I didn't think of that. And then just like as a player, like, and I'm sure you do this too, but you like go around and you like start to notice graffiti and you're like, I don't even understand that graffiti. Like I can't read that. And that's real in the real world, you know? So I just, I just find it amusing. Oh yeah. And it's uh, cause it makes sense. It's hidden if you don't know. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes that all the world. That's where your lures and whatever nonsense you want to put in your game that you want to carry over, whatever that fits in nice. Uh, the other one is, for storytellers, the spirit of the city. Or for players in general. I really see this as a storyteller tool that I will not admit if I will or will not be using. I recommend that all you <laughs> other storytellers keep that hidden as well. Spirit of the sissy, city, sissy. Spirit of the city system. Uh, excuse me as I spit that out. Uh, it's a two dice thing. One designated as a city die, one designated as your luck die. Mm-hmm. And what it's applied to is those little side scenes. Right? To give your story a little kick. Right? You ever have those players who just kind of... Um, Everyone has that game where we're sitting back as vampires and what are we going to do, right? There's a plot going on over here. The world's a breathing system. 
uh, but we just getting back to game or it's been a while or whatever the situation is, someone's going to go feed. Everyone else is trying to figure it out. And the spirit of the city system lets you roll two dice uh, to determine with that action what's going on with it, right? You know, if it's positive or negative. And those two dice work in conjunction to help you make that decision. So you as a storyteller don't have to sit there and go, man, how do I not pick on this character and his idea? Or should I spice this up more or less? What direction? It's a cool little thing if you need that, right? It's something that could help you not be as stagnant or help you make a quick decision as a storyteller. In my fault, I should add that uh, this uh, specific locale, this uh, ability, also uh, references different places you could go. And there's a chart they give as well for it, so you could roll on that in addition to. Or any way you want to actually use these two unique dice systems to make that go. Um, I was thinking of all sorts of ways beyond the, the standard giving, because mm-hmm. it gives that certain uh, je ne sais quoi for it, right? That's, that's the point of it. Right. And in doing it, like the, the example of place you could use it on the avenues of Chicago, Right, there's all sorts of stuff that could go down there just for them being there, right. and to spice up your scene, you might roll these two die. Right, and there's there's something that you're going to find throughout this book is little tools like that, um, where you know they they're not going to give you a whole story to run. They're going to give you little pieces, little pieces to to fill in your puzzle, little things that you can do that can spur stories uh, from them. And I I really I think that. In our time doing this podcast, you know, my impression of, of how other people play this game has changed, you know, based on questions that people ask us, you know, things that, that people want to know. And I think a lot of people, it's not super easy for them to just pick up and start storytelling. It's like a lot of times they just don't know where to start. They don't know how to get the wheels turning. And that's one thing I can say I really approve of in V5 is all the little elements that they give to help storytellers to tell stories to run a game like running a game is hard it's fucking it's very difficult so anything that can give you a little bit of a of a helping hand especially as a new storyteller who's going to be intimidated already that's awesome i mean why not take advantage of that um they talk about elysium and the laws thereof and uh i i really appreciate seeing those in here i saw them and i found them uh interesting to say the least. Um, Axis shall not be limited. All candidates are welcome. In here, they point out the fact that uh, the disparity between the Anarchs, the new Anarchs, and what's here, right? It used to be any old Anarch can come here and it'd be cool, and we could talk and everyone understands one another, right? Right. On here, it kind of points out that the new Anarchs, not so much. Right? right. These guys are, are burnt because they burned the house down. Right. <laughs> you know, kill some cam people, right? And right. Uh, that's uh, that could be it, too. So they got to they gotta watch that. Right. Uh, but, you know, in theory, it it reinforces the concept that Elysium is like hollowed ground, right? It's where two, you know, you can't cut off the head because there can be only one, but, you know, except for on church. That's basically Elysium, but in a perfect world. It's not a perfect place, and now is not a perfect time. It even um, makes sense when you consider the rule for Lysambra in a city. There can be no more than three. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, so then it talks about like all of these elements, um, you know, the rack, the rack is where you hunt, right? It's where your, your kindred go to feed, to be seen, to enjoy the night on the town. And we are, you know, um, we're one, we're, we're shown 
matter-of-factly that there is a succubus club again um it is different than it was in its original incarnation and different than the old traveling one from the revised edition but it's kind of like a nostalgic club that a lot of the city's kindred go to to uh to enjoy the the revelry of the old of the old days right it is that (laughs) i I don't have much to say in the succubus club yeah uh I don't think either of us have ever been like big fans of the Succubus Club, you know, all things considered. I, I believe it was said best. So it's a club where I go there and hot people go dance around, get sweaty, and I could pick up people and go home and feed for them. Yeah. It's different than what club? <laughs> right. Right. And they were like, nah, there's a maze in it. You could get lost in it. And there's all sorts of stuff. Did you know there are Methuselahs in it? Do we, is that public knowledge? Do we all know there's a Methuselah in it? Well, no. Yeah. Okay, it's just a club then. So <laughs> let me ask you a question, skipping ahead a little bit, because we're just kind of like going over, you know, the various locations in the city, which some are new. Most of them are are updated. and uh, But let me ask you your question. Ask you your question. Let me ask you a question. What are your thoughts about the Chinatown portion of this chapter? So I'm going to tell you right now, you don't fuck with David Lopan. All right. I'm going to tell you that right now. The Wing Kong Exchange, that's what's in Chinatown. You want to call him the Jade Demon? Thank you. Right. You want to make it some weird abyssal society? That's exactly how the vampires should say, should see David Lopin. Stay out. (laughs) That's it. Should you never go there? Nope. But I think it should be a headache for the Tremere. Yeah. Why? Because they got a six demon bag. (laughs) Okay. A six demon bag. It's it's funny that uh, there's. There's definitely, um, you know, when you revise these these systems, when you update them, you know, there's no mage. There's no, like, mage 5th edition. But there is. There will be. Someday. There has to be. Because there's nothing in this book that's going to make you as a vampire player who's only ever played vampire go, oh, I know how to handle that. Stay the hell out of Chinatown. <laughs> that's, <You're right. laughs> that's all we can tell you, and that's all we can tell your players. <laughs> I do believe they did it the best method. What is it? Capone said it as one guy, and uh, the, the experienced Chinatown said, well, I'll handle it the old way. He comes back flayed, yeah. and no matter how much blood they give him, his wounds don't heal, and it just oozes out of him. Yeah, and and uh, they tell the story about how they basically were like, well, that's the end of him. Let's never mention him again. And right, Capote just puts him down. Let me get this straight. No matter how much blood I give you, you're not going to heal. You're just this pussing bag of pain. Yeah. Well, um, that's a barrel. You're going to go in it. Uh, also, one thing that I noticed that they did was they gave all these locations, and they probably did this in other books, and it just didn't really stick, you know, uh, in my mind so well. But they give all of these locations, like, um, a bonus, like, two rolls. Um, and I thought that that was really interesting and really cool too. I don't know if it's something I would necessarily use in my game. Um, but I, I think it's a very cool little addition. Like if you're in this side of town, you get a plus one to perception tests. Or if you're at this club, you get a blah, blah, blah. I tell you what I think it's for, right? I thought about this the moment I read it. Mm -hmm. Somehow they're going to transition this to a, a war tabletop game. (laughs) right like 40k you're to get those new minis they got coming out for v5 they're gonna have locations where gangs and packs are there and they're gonna tell you it's a plus or minus diet based on how it go except they're gonna be even more intelligent about it they're gonna go all right you did one round up there in the tabletop at the beginning of the game we now know who controls what and where now let's run the story of that outcome 
and you sit down, and that storyteller takes his notes, and it's time. You know, those massive tabletop games, I think that there's plenty of opportunity for crossover and stuff like that, but... uh, yeah, I just I, I thought that that was a cool little thing. Um, you know, it's it's another one of those things where I'm like, oh, that that's a neat little addition. You know, m- maybe I'll use that in a game down the road sometime. But yeah, it's not. I never really felt it necessary to give advantages based on location. Maybe you come here with me on this. Did were you were you baffled that they didn't mention Chuck E. Cheese? <laughs> no, let me explain this. I wasn't. That place. I was baffled. I was like, that place is immortal. Yeah. I don't know how it's still in business. How the hell is it still around? Oh, I don't and know. It's the worst. There's, there's Chuck E. C's. It's it's a weird pedophilic rat costume. <laughs> like the worst food, and it's just it's everywhere. You know, still. I don't I don't know if it's like a if that's like a regional chain, but um, something as a quick side note, I noticed that everything on the west coast of this country is the same but with different names. Like <laughs> like Ice Mountain Water doesn't exist on the West Coast, but it does. You you go into a Dunkin Donuts, what? It, it's it's got like some different it's like California something or other. It's got like a red label instead of a blue one. Like seriously, if you go out there, you're going to be like, "Wow, that looks oddly like the thing that I'm used to." And it is, but it's got a different label. Like a good example is Jewel, right? You know, we talked about it earlier. Like, you live in the Chicagoland area. You've been to, a, you know, Jewel all your life. If you go west, it's an Albertsons. It's same company. It's just a Here's different Here's this weird. Name. Doesn't Albertsons own Walgreens as well? I don't know. I don't know who they own. Um, but uh, another example is um, uh, Kroger, right? Kroger. Yep. You guys don't really even have Kroger in Chicago, but like in Indianapolis, yep. we have Kroger. If you go to the West, it's called Smith's. Don't know why. Just that's what it is. I was always told Aldi's is part of that, too. Aldi's and Trader Joe's. They're they're like similar, but you find them. But yeah, it's just weird shit. Just slightly different. That was a breakdown. That was a breakdown (laughs) of local humor. But you are talking about our books. All right, let's move on. (laughs) So uh, when it breaks up uh, the sides of the city. Um, which, which is basically what we're talking about, too. It's right after the rack. You start noting uh, what has what. Now, the importance here is that they distinctly point out um, what areas of control is best nested in the hands of specific uh, clans uh, with NPCs, or interests, I should say. Before, you're used to so-and-so owns this. Right. Right, or so-and-so owns that. Now, it's like, ah, out here, you know, you might see some Gangrel. Like, Calumet Park, on the map, it distinctly says, do not enter without permission from Gangrel. Right. Right, like somebody made a map and went, hey, dummy, you definitely need to read this. <laughs> right. Because it's bad. Right, right. Uh, no, it, it and, and this is, this is, this book is full of that stuff. Um, we get into, I, I don't know how deep you want to go into, but um, what I found most interesting was the collar, right? The, yeah. Whereas when, if you go back to the second edition Chicago by Night, you go back to the first edition Chicago by Night, everything that's not Chicago, they're just like, that's like the wastelands. Just don't go there. And anybody that that knows this area, that's grown up in this area or has spent any time here, knows that basically Chicago doesn't end until the other end of the state. It's just one continuous stretch of population, right? And so they get into that here with the collar, and they start talking about the suburbs, about how you know you have you have cities. Um, they they bring up a city in Ohio that's got like uh, I forget what which city it was off the top of my head, but like. Here's a city with like 350,000 people, and Chicago has suburbs that have 
100,000, 200,000 people, right? So it's like these are these are places that could sustain more than one vampire, right? These are domains. And so they talk about that. And they need to uh, because they bring up some very important places, one which we may live in, and uh, or at least I do. <laughs> and uh, that's uh, it's good to note. Um, for one, um, I want to point out something that goes back to the question beginning of the pod. Uh-huh. Um, they were talking about the, the church, right, and the religious aspects given to the Camarilla. Is it? I want to point this out, that at least in Chicago at this point, it's a little weird, uh, because there's an excerpt I found where it says, whenever the vampire church, where, wherever the vampire church goes, they are just as horrifying and dangerous as before. Maybe even more so now that the Lasombra have agreed with the ivory tower that the heresy must fall. Right. It gives the impression that the people who follow the vampire church and the Methuselahs in it, that these folks just possibly are like violent elements of the religious gospel. Like to me, right. it sounds like the Sabbat fractured, right? Right. There are those who kept the religious portion pathing, whatever, and went one direction stuck around pedagogy and all that trying to, trying to right. spread it. The warriors and maybe the more inhumane people went diabolically crazy and shot to the middle East to have right. a war. Right. It really sounds like, um, you know, uh, the, the church aspects, the more religious aspects of the Camarilla, uh, they're it's not that's not okay like it's something that they've kind of accepted because they're not the sabbat they're not going to have their own inquisition run through but they're dangerous and they're heretical and i'm sure we're going to find more about that out in cults of the blood gods uh, coming right. to his and, game's door near you <laughs> and, and even here the church of the dark father supposedly sends in scouting missions regularly mm-hmm. and takes part in guerrilla tactics against bahari strongholds this just backs what you said. Right. It's it's opening that even further. So there's there's a lot of info we don't have. Great seating though. Right. Right. So um, moving right along, let's move on to the next chapter, shall we? Sure. Chapter four is Kindred of Chicago, and for the first time in a city book, we're we're seeing the Banu Hakim. You know the the Asimites or whatever you want to call them. Um, what are your thoughts? I think they're cool. They talk about the Vermilion Wedding. It's a marrying of Victoria Ash and uh, King on High, can't remember, to <laughs> Tigirius. That's who it is. And the marriage of her and Tigirius. So that unites the Torador and Asimites right there. Or the Banu Hakim as it is. And that's great. But they mention a wedding. That's also a hard thing for a lot of people to adjust to. But it happened. Right. And, and it doesn't hurt anything. So she's got a husband. She is a wife. Great. But it mentions how they're here as kind of relatives. Mm-hmm. Right, they're in Chicago, and because they're, they're in the jewel of the Camarilla, Chicago is the number one city in, in the U.S. for the Camarilla. Right, and because of that, Kevin Jackson kind of has these uh, Banu Hakim sitting at the side and knows that more than likely than not, he can rely on them to help out. Right, if uh, things get hairy, and so they're just sort of here. They're there at court. They wave, drink blood tea, <laughs> right. whatever. In my opinion on it, uh, finally they're treated normal. Right, right. The, like a clan of, of like a viable clan. Uh, I think it's really cool. Um, you know, I don't want to get, I don't want to go through every vampire in this book because that would just be like, that would just take too much time. Um, but I thought it was cool to see them, you know, front and center, obviously alphabetically, that's where they fit. But come on, get to cool. our Bruja. Yeah, yeah, get yeah. Get to our so, Bruja. So, so moving right along, let's talk about the Bruja. <laughs> Sorry. I even had the fist pump going, folks. Uh, so. <laughs> Bob just fucking Bruja'd me. He just, he just. <laughs> <laughs> he just railroaded me. <laughs> so one of the coolest things about here, and, and and I'd say one of the... I got a black eye and a smile out of this section. One, they took my girl Tyler out the picture. 
Mm-hmm. That hurt. Right. Said she answered the call. Why? I, I didn't know why. Why her over Critias? Uh, you know, it, it's one of those things where I gotta I gotta assume that the characters that are missing are missing for a reason. That's that's the only thing that I can say. I have to assume we'll experience that story later on. I think there's some uh, there's some there's some bad feelings here. I'm just saying. Mm-hmm. There's I don't want to say anything about nationalism, but you know Tyler did do some bad stuff to some British folk. I don't know if that's <laughs> if that was on purpose, Mr. Dawkins, but I'm just gonna leave it there, pick it up at a later date conversation or message. That's but funny. you know that's funny. I, I think that might be why. But the point is she's she's removed from it and at least well, let's be Bob, be real. Let me be serious. Tyler controlled an airport. Right. And was a dominant Primogen member. And she was beloved by the Anarch community, and in the Anarchs of Yore, she fit because she could have ties to all these Anarchs and it wasn't that big of a deal. However, with them splitting up to the Helens and the Fjords, that can't happen. Right. Because the Helens are the ones that support the Camarilla, right? Right. That are they're there with them, they get along with it. The Fjords are the Anarchs, the new violent Anarchs, in fact. So what side would Tyler go to? Probably not the one where Critias is. What's interesting is, I can't say that as Bob. She, she's been on the fence since the fence was the fence. Right. However, she's been written... As being the fuel she, for, the, for the Fuhrers. Yeah, I, I think that the one problem, too, with that character is that it was written at, at, at various intervals. She's been a member of the Camarilla in good standing as a primogen. She's been a, a secret anarch that nobody knows about and a founding member of the Sabbat. So it's like, what do you do with that character? Where you're like, You send her. Right. <laughs> right. You, you ship her. You ship her for real. <laughs> <laughs> You you put her in one of her airplanes and you you send her off to to yeah <laughs> you send her to the glowing briefcase in the Middle East. <laughs> it's Marcellus Wallace's soul. That's what's over there. Damn. Well, you know, woke up and now it's hungry. <laughs> the path of the shepherd, the tyranny. He's he's there. You're gonna... right. No, you you know. You have to battle Samuel L. Jackson, the shepherd, to get there. He's Banu Hakim. All right. So anyway, we're uh, we're back here. Basically, jokes. Uh, we'll try to keep that to a, to an awesome. Um, the Bruja are fractured into two sections. Right. We already mentioned them, Helens and Fjords. And what's interesting is Critias stands up for the Helens. Why it's interesting is because Critias is also kind of violent. Yeah. Right. I know we weren't going to mention everybody, but him, I dis- a special distinction. Number one. He's not some weird drawn guy anymore. He looks more like he should. Right. I think that, I think that's wonderful that they did in this book. A lot of characters they redid in art, and I feel it matches more of what in your head. Yeah. You, well, you see this character being like. That, that, that's something we cannot overemphasize, that basically it took characters that in the 90s were drawn, you know, they looked cool, right? They looked cool for the time. And now it's like we took them and brought them into living color. Like the artwork here for these characters, definitely like, like Balthazar, like Balthazar is like, like, I just hear him saying, I'm your Huckleberry. I'm like, no, get away. Fuck you. Like, I don't Dude, want nothing to do with you. Right. Balthazar is someone now who, if he's the sheriff, he's going to fuck you up <laughs> yeah. right can you imagine that back in the day we used to laugh at this guy because they drew with a 10 gallon hat right. and he had the beer gut he's walking oh, them damn duke boys are at it again that's what he looked like 
And we clowned on that guy in multiple games. However, if Doc Holliday's dad here (laughs) showed up with wolf eyes and blood on his face, I might have respected the traditions a bit more. Yeah. (laughs) I wouldn't want to met him in a dark alley at all. At all. (laughs) At all. No. (coughs) Yeah. Some good, good drawing. Um, Um, Damien. Mm-hmm. Damien was the hardest character to picture. Right? To give you the age of Damien, I've seen him played as a nine-year-old kid. Right? right which is right, awkward. Right. And then it's like he's a teenager, though. Like, you know, and that's what it is. And then when he drew him, you're like, oh, I get it. There he is. Right. No question. Right, right now, I totally get that character. And uh, it completes him. It actually fixes all that was wrong with him. And they add a maturity as a Helen. Because we know uh, from uh, Beckett Shahad Diary as well, that Christ is going around teaching these Bruja. Yeah. You don't get to just be a Bruja and be a Helen. You're going to be a Helen. Hellenistic principles are going to be established. You're going to learn order. You're going to learn a bit, learn a bit about strength in your mind as well as your body and get some intellect in you. Yep. And then we'll talk about you being around. We're going to go back to the way it used to be where we're actually the learned clan. However, once that's done and you're done with the Helens, you bust into the Fjords. And when you get into the Fjords, you're like, wow, I never thought of Anita Wainwright as anything as cool as she is now. Yeah. Right, I dig, I dig her look. It's like punk meets goth meets deteriorating humanity. Yep. And she, she has that look. She has that feel off of what she did. You could see her battling to be a leader of the anarch movement on the Fuhrer side. How she's gonna throw down, Genghis. Dude, like, let me just stop for a moment. Just, I wanna, I wanna make a statement, and I wanna praise the authors who, who, who's put together these characters, because we all. Everybody that's played this game knows how characters are presented, and they've been presented in every city book previous to this. And they give you so much more of value with these characters. Um, and you'll you'll experience that as you read through them. But like, dude, like Genghis, it's it it is the same character, right? Like you go back and you pull up that old picture of Genghis in the book, and it is the same character, but it's not. It's right. this, this guy doesn't look like a, like a clown. He's got all, he's got the freaking thing in his nose. He's got the safety pin in his nose. He's got the stupid tattoo on the side of his head, but he looks a menace. He looks dark. He looks creepy as fuck. And I love it. I love it. I also adore how he attends these games, uh, in places with all his friends. <laughs> Right, he still has that going down. Yep. This this still cracks me up, right? Yeah. He keeps they call it nesting. It's literally a section where that's what he wants to do. He's mm-hmm. just living comfortable, chilling, uh hanging out with his new friends, you know, loves the mortal thing. I wonder if he still bakes cookies for his neighbors. Right. That's that's me. <laughs> and then and then and that's and that's on one side. And the other side he's like, uh, oh I gotta hang out with you. He's like the hipster vampire. Yeah. That is like, Hey guys, look that, that all that stuff is still cool. Just be cool and we're cool. Right. You know, and then these anarchs come around, rah, 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 except he's like, yeah, you're right. Let's, let's be that because we got to stop these assholes from ruining what we got, mm-hmm. which is really ruining what he has, right? Right. Um, that's, uh, it's, it's an interesting way uh, to, to showcase him, and I agree with it. I, I see it easily. I also want to give a, a quick nod, another quick nod to Matthew Dawkins, not that he needs any more of them, for all of the obvious to us uh, Pentex references, the sunbursts, right. the Otellis, the <laughs> you name it. Dude, Magadon Pharmaceuticals, when I read that in here, uh-huh. I was like, that son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Slipped it in. 
I had to pause. At that point, it was time to put a footnote in it. I was like, okay, we'll get back to you. Right. That's too <laughs> funny. It just, just shattered my reading. It was so good. Um, all right. So uh, any of the other uh, Marujas you want to ad- address? There's a new one on Gerard, Mark yeah. Levesque. Um, I don't, he's not necessarily new, but the way they've redone him. is Well, let me put it this way. Bob doesn't recall if Mark Levesque was in a previous book. I'm almost positive that name sticks out, but he didn't stick out. Mm-hmm. And what's important is, is that it's... Uh, yeah, I can't at all. And I, I want to say that the the there was a Levesque before that might have been a Sabat member. Yeah, and they just they, they just redesigned it. I think and the, that's, the the name rings a bell, but I think it rings a bell from the first edition, uh, Chicago by Night book, and not the second edition one. It's 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 hard to know for sure. But I could internet worry, but yeah, I have fans for that. Yeah, right. So right. we, we don't need to. On, you know? We don't need to get up and look at a book. You'll do it for us and tell us where so, we're wrong. <laughs> But this uh, this guy here in V five is awesome. He's a good addition to yeah. add to all that. All right, you have your caitiff. Mm-hmm. Um, please read uh, Mal Davis to learn why uh, Olaf hates her. Failure! How dare you betray him? No, I'm joking. Well, not really. I mean, that's literally what happened. But that's the uh, that's the point. Um, the caitiff or caitiff. I mean, they 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 fit a niche, but. I'm going to treat him like Kadif and we'll right. move on. Well, um, the only one that I, I thought like was really an interesting addition um, are these folks from like from Red Number 5. You know, there's this whole Baharis thing that didn't exist in Chicago beforehand. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, you know, I don't want to ruin anything. You know, it's it's worth reading and and uh, consuming for yourself. Um, but yeah. Reference. Kadif. Blood disco. That's <laughs> right. all I got to say. Right. I'm trying to get through here because there's cool people like Sweetie Pepper and I could kill time on it. I'm trying to get past yep. Gative. Yep. Just know that if you read them, it's a treat. Um, all right. So look, do you want to move on to Gangrel? Um, yeah. And and mainly because the Gangrel are they're, they're weird. Mm-hmm. Right. Because yeah. they're, they're, they're gone, but they're not gone. Right. Right. Like all Gangrel, they're not in, but they're they're there. You know, it's like it, to me when Gangrel quit something, they just they just go, we don't do that anymore. But then we don't leave because there's still a Gangrel primogen, which is and weird. I don't exa- and I don't exactly understand that, but we, those are politics, right? Yep. I don't have to understand. I don't. I understand why it's done. Right. You know, it could happen in any city. I just don't get why here. Because remember, fans of Chicago by Night, um, we're here. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's what we do. But the point is, is that when you when you get to their reasoning. It just seems that obviously Gangrel, like their clan, any shape and size, right? Not all feel a certain type of way, and that's and that's hammered home. Um, you even get in the beginning when they talk about there's a couple, there's two Gangrel who seem to be siblings according to the Nazis watching them. One's a famous Gangrel, allegedly. Another one is a local hero, mm-hmm. um, and you get to hear um, them debate why one's staying and one's leaving. And and to me, I felt it was a good way to tell how there are gang girl who feel they have a loyalty to the Camarilla from being forgiven from past deeds or maybe maybe it's just life is good. Right? right. If you look at the wolf pack, they're gang girl. What the hell do they need to be open on the planes for? They get to ride around on bikes, life on the road, do whatever they like. Right. And they have a title of Archon. Archon to who, by the way? Nobody. Still. <laughs> right. <laughs> how much of a badass do you have to be for the sect to go, those are Archons with no Justicar? <laughs> right. Use accordingly, like any fine spice, don't ruin the dish, and and every prince has just accepted that, right? Right. So I mean, when you have that to consider, it's like, oh well, it doesn't really matter. I know there are diehard people who go, my gang, the gang grow clan's got to, yeah, we got to beat. No, they don't. They don't, <laughs> and they, and they show you why, you know, right here. So 
That's that's the cool aspects of it. I rather enjoy it. So did you, um, while you were reading through here, did you find um, uh, a character that clearly was made by one of our friends? Did I catch one? Yeah, yeah. So um, uh, I won't use any last names, so you know nobody gets yeah you know, whatever. Um, but there is a there is a Phil character in here. You're talking about Duncan McTavish. I'm definitely like when I read this character, I was like, did has has he played this character before? It's S A S Sulcher. It is. It is. It is a one hundred percent. One of our a member of our friend group, like our personal friends at home there. Um, he plays like, you know, a half a dozen variants on, on a concept, right? Like we all, we all do that. We, we all have go-tos and this guy is 100% a character that would be made by him. <laughs> like, just want to point out. Just, just know. Call of Duty fans know his name as Soap McTavish. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yes, I know the difference. That's why, that's why I laugh every time I look at this guy, right? right. Crack shot. Right. And I also believe he's the guy that wrestles with the wolf pack in the right. who's a what's it's in the beginning right. with the with the story with the thing that we talked about. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's, you know, <laughs> with the snipers and the whatnots and the, yeah, with the stuff, with the tools, the shots. It's, it's totally so. Phil, they took a character you would make and somehow coincidentally made your character. So, all right, uh, moving right along, along, the sombra. That was actually I was saying the Sombra is next. <laughs> you were. I was. Uh, I was. I was quickly going over it mm-hmm. and uh, getting to the next clan. <laughs> yeah, Tally. Um, Tally's my guy. Um, and then Malkavian. Right. We talked about that's why I had it. We've we've right. gushed over these people, so I'm like, ah, right. we, we don't need to do it at the um, time. They they kept the the one monster. I was a little concerned they would keep. Um, I. I'm so happy to kept this son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. I really am. He's such a sinister guy. Yeah, yeah. Son has been um, the antagonist in a number of Chicago-based games I've ran and also been um, someone I've had to flee from in a number of Chicago games I've played in. So uh, <laughs> to see his his dis- disturbing, despicable ass still in here. Um, and... Uh, um, the Bronwyn, um, that's a character that that uh, is a holdover. Um, and then there's another, uh, Alexa Santos, I believe, is the um, another complete sociopath, the nightmare individual that you don't want to run into. Um, but yeah, it's the, it's the it's the Malkavians. It's, you know, they are insane. They are what they are. Everything you can enjoy. Um, I like this uh, redo artwork also on Evan Klein. Yep. Um, it's, it's, it's great. I just, just want to state that it looks more realistic, uh, for me of, of, of the portrayal, what, what's there. Right. And, uh, I don't know. I said, that's it. I have a horrible way of segueing, but that that's what I meant. Um, the ministry. So I'll, I'll say this, Marcel looks totally different than I had imagined him based on the old Chicago by night artwork. But mm-hmm. like, this is so like significantly better. Than that old artwork. I think he very much looks like the blue eye in the sky. I, I don't get the reference. It is a uh, 
It's it's a DJ. If you look up uh, the blue arc, the blue eye in oh, the sky. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You, okay, the, the guy from the GTA Five. <laughs> right, he's he's on the radio all over that. But we looked him up. Uh, me and a buddy, and uh, me and Nick looked him up, and uh, he's a riot. He's a riot to see in interviews, writing, and I can't remember his name to save my to save my life. Uh, but he's uh, he's hysterical to see. But he this Marcel reminds me of that guy. They call him the Red Leprechaun. That matters. <laughs> I don't that know. Brings it <laughs> I don't know that you've helped me at all, but I know who you're talking about now. <laughs> um, yeah. So the the ministry is like a whole new beast, um, considering that um, you know the followers of Set in previous incarnations uh, one were never allowed um, in the Camarilla, and now they are sort of like. Um, it, it it's like they are kind of a clan that's accepted um like but a little bit not fully you know like they're they're kind of like they straddle the line between like their independents who want to join and the camarilla is like yeah yeah you're here <laughs> you know it's better to have you you know participating than not we'll see how it goes um kind of like that so uh, it's cool to see them um, anything else you want to talk about before we move on to the Nasratu? No, you're, you, I think you did what I like to call golden work there. Yeah. So we get into the Nasratu and, um, it's funny to see some of your plans or some of the things you've done in game kind of be adapted into actual canon. Not that like we did it and they took it, but just like, you know, your ideas kind of coincide to some degree. Uh, the Nasratu are awesome. Uh, they are. I uh, I go through this and I feel plagiarized, but that's all right. <laughs> um, that's uh, I, I put a lot of hard work into my mixing and planning. Uh, but it's good to see that great minds think alike is what I will say. Yeah. Um, not that it's not unique in how they did it, because obviously there are variations. There always will be. Yeah. Um, no one ever gets it exact. Um, but it is it is fantastic to see how it worked out. And uh, honestly, it's it's if you feel vindicated when you right. see something like that, you know. And that's uh, that's the cool thing about it. It's good to see all the the players are there. You know, Khaled is still there. Uh, <laughs> Nathaniel Bordroff is there. Calhoun, a good old favorite Calhoun, is still there. Um, but uh, yeah, the the Nasratu are a varied and um, uh, intricate clan. So um, you know, definitely dig into that because no pun intended, they're the shit. Um, and there's some additions, right? Edith was new, right? Uh, yeah. Wanaka was was new. Yeah, yeah. There's um, there's definitely some new ones, and there's some folks that are obviously missing. Um, but uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of new folks there for sure. And Nathaniel Bordruff's picture should chill anybody who sees it. Yeah, I just want to outline that it's a, it's a great rendition. Um, the Thin Bloods are Thin Bloods. <laughs> they're they're great for storytelling. Um, the Torador. Let's talk about the Torador. Um, Annabelle looks frightening, just amazing. Uh, Brett Stryker, exactly how I would have imagined him, but never did. Like that new that new artwork. Um, and the artist who did the th- these uh, paintings escapes me. Um, but her artwork is fantastic. Um, I really can't gush enough about how beautiful the artwork is. Um, yeah. Um, is it weird, do you think, is it weird that um, 
that even these like Methuselah vampires, their power levels cap out at five. Oh, you wanted to? I I thought we were gonna ignore that completely. Um, but to I, talk about it, oh, it bothers the shit out of me. It <laughs> it really bothers me. It irritates me. In fact, um, yeah, quite a bit more than I thought it ever would. And and that's and that's it. Just it just bothers me. Yeah, it's uh V 5s cap of that stuff is uh, I I yeah. It, it's something that I, you know, I was kind of like trying to avoid, like, I don't want to talk about powers. I don't want to talk about power levels, but when you have a book like this, where you have two Methuselahs in it and, and that's not, there's not something presented to make them seem more powerful. It, it really pisses me off. It really annoys the shit out of me. Like she, she's a threat, right? Right. She's fourth gen. She's a threat. Yeah. She could do some stuff. Yeah. She's, Pretty much, kind of. Actually, not really. If uh, any group of people corner her currently, um, she she can go down. Yeah, and that's and that's as it is, and that doesn't give the feel uh, that they had before. Before they were like, if you need someone suicidally to dive on here, good luck, and here's right. the reason why. And it was enough for the STs to be like, we're not going to, we're just going to narrate this. Now there's an argument to roll them bones. Right is, is all I'm saying, and I don't want that. And now I know what you're thinking. Well, if you're role playing, you're doing it wrong, and answer to that. Uh, no, um, right. if, if, if you're telling me everybody gets to the same five stack eventually, and it doesn't matter who you are, we'll all be here someday. Some, if you look at the stats to everybody else, a hell of a lot sooner than other Methuselahs, right? Yeah. Um, for instance, when Damien's swinging potence for right? It, fifth is awesome, but at the same time, that dude's already, it's not it, even a century. It, so it, here's the, here's the issue that I have. Um, and, and here's... I'm going to try to be real delicate about this because I understand the revamping of the rules is going to limit certain things, but I'm led to believe that this character here um, is somehow capable of that. Helena is somehow capable of inter uh, basically going in, manipulating and controlling the Tremere of Chicago and using the Chantry for her own devices and I just don't see that backed up by her stats. And I just, I can't wrap my brain around it, right? I know this character from previous editions. And the power level that's expressed in that character in previous editions makes me believe that that's possible. But what I see here doesn't show that to me. And it doesn't, it doesn't make me fear this character, especially since there's a hunter in this book who has abilities in the sixes. And this character, who's Helen of Troy, doesn't. So it just kind of, it doesn't set well with me. I don't, I just don't think that the way that the powers have been laid out and presented makes a whole lot of sense. This character was embraced and, 1207 BCE. And before you get into it and say, guys, it's about the role playing. It's not about the stats. Adjust the stats. If you, no, no, ma'am. <clears throat> no, ma'am. I bought this book and this system. And there needs to be a fundamental understanding of something. It's a game. Right. It's a game first and foremost. It's a gaming book. Accordingly, when I go to play this game, which is supposed to be a futuristic take on what we know and love from the past, it's improvements. Right? This is a derail. You, you, have, you have derailed at this point. Now, that's okay. Right? Because I don't have to use Helen of Troy. I don't even have to put her in there. Right. I could say that she's not the real Helen of Troy. Whatever I want to do. But at the same time, the same token... When you read their past and you read what they did and what they've accomplished and what he just said about uh, the Tremere itself 
and the powers that be. How do you distinguish between her and the prince? Like, who, who would be a fear more? And right. you're thinking to yourself, no player's ever going to... Listen, Jack, if you've ever run a game, <laughs> you know for a fact that there will always be a player who's going to take a shot at the title. Right. And it doesn't matter who you are. And a poor storyteller goes, we're just going to narrate that. There's no way you could take him. You're a jerk, sir. If you're that storyteller, you pick up the dice and you crush him. If it's 15 dice you have, you crush him with 15 dice. I, I, believe, I believe strongly in giving that warning of advice in the first, and saying, are you sure you want to do this? You're positive you want to do this. This is the route you want to go? Here's your dice. I say, you know, give them every out. But eventually, if you do this long enough, you're going to find there is no out. But to let the player take the step up, take the swing. Take, take the swing. And you need to understand that every, every other player is looking at you as a storyteller for fairness, right. for adjudication, and they're rooting for the little guy. Right. They will always root for the character that steps up to swing at the big bad. Right. They always will. Every player wants to see that, and if you're crushed, they'll go, was a good story, if you did a good job as a storyteller. If that villain plays a villain, does it well, doesn't just up and end them, and there's a, there's a whole, you know, basically I'm telling you, torture them during the combat, as a villain should. Right. Unless that villain would just up and end them. You know, play it according to what they know that villain to be, everyone's happy. However, back to the stats, but, yeah. those stats are a part of it. Right. Those stats determine that. So, so let me ask you this question. We, we both read Beckett's Jihad Diary thoroughly, and we both know that Beckett encountered uh, Helena in that book. Does that character that he encountered and the fear, the absolute utter terror he experienced, seem to be reflected here? I will tell you, knowing what Dominate 5 does in this game system, that it could be. It could be that he encountered that. It could be that that occurred. To mm -hmm. that effect that they talked about for as long, no. Right. No, it could not. And that's and that's the problem. It, do, it doesn't back doesn't back what's written. And I'll tell you why it's a problem. Every storyteller runs into a, a player only has the rule book to guide them and gauge uh, how strong they are. Right. What is too much? What is believable? If you're going to limit it all to that, like, in other words, get together somewhere and figure out a new book that expands stats for people who want it. It's not hard. Everybody likes a good uh, rule book about disciplines and whatnot. Even the people who said they say they don't, they're liars because it's the first thing the players flip to. I know I'm a player too. <laughs> right. You know, when this book came out, what was the first thing I went to oblivion? What did right. I do to my Lissandra? Right. And it's the first thing I did, right? That's a draw. It's a duh. Right. Check the stats. You know they sell like that. Right. So when you come to this stuff and think on that, it's great that you got the story all figured, everything's here, breeze together, whatever. Fix that. Right. That's that's an obvious fix. Right. All right. So moving right along to the Tremere. What's your thoughts? <laughs> I miss Nikolai. Yeah, I do too. That, that's that's my thought. I uh, I I get it. Yeah. But I miss Nikolai. Right. I mean, I understand a, a child. Um, vampire is a is a breach of the masquerade the same way that uh you know um, a former mobster who died in prison who's like the most famous chicagoan to ever lived is a breach of the masquerade um but yeah i i also um i i miss nikolai but also i just feel bad for the tremere because basically the tremere as presented here and rightly so are kind of just a a shell of what they they once were they're kind of almost a non-entity 
Um, I love to see Dusable in there. Um, it's a cool character. I've always liked that character. But yeah, I think that uh, the Tremere... The Tremere are reeling from a whole lot of problems that the modern world has heaped upon their shoulders. They are a clan in decline, it would seem. Uh, any of the other ones you want to you wanna talk on? Yeah, I was disturbed. I don't like Arikto, and she made it. Um, that's, uh, that's fine. We could, we could deal with that. Uh, I'll kill her in my game. Uh, but the point <laughs> is, is that uh, I just never, never a fan of her. Um, Sun Che is a great character. Yeah. Um, or Sun Che, however it's pronounced. Um, is a is a fantastic one. I I just like uh, the different feel, right? Even yeah. her quote's awesome. I am the embodiment of the goddess. You ought to be afraid. It's you don't hear that from Atreus' mouth, right? Jameer right. were always like the Order of Hermes Immortals, right? Right. right? I, I am and the Order of Hermes. I all the order. It's different now. Yeah, and that's and it's a good change. All right, moving right along, we have uh, the good old Ventru and Prince Kevin Jackson always been one of my favorite characters and uh yeah it's, i don't think it's a spoiler at this point but yeah kevin jackson is the the prince of chicago in this material and he looks like someone that would say sit your five dollar ass down before i make change <laughs> right <laughs> right yeah um i i love how they updated this character um i love uh just how they've presented him and uh it, it it basically I think for a lot of us like there were there were a few in the earlier incarnations of Chicago by Night there were a few that kind of like logic would have dictated what ended up being Prince, um, and we we'll read in this book that there's been a few that have tried before him and failed, um, but I think he's he's one of the ones that like was an obvious choice. There's there's really no way that he wouldn't be like like we said before he's a guy that controlled the streets at least how he was written mm-hmm. he had that down but the more important thing what's the when you, when you have criminal organizations and you're running them you have to be good at adjudication right you have to be good at making the hard call leadership and that's a, yeah it's a strong leader that can do that however when you look at the others there's nobody who had that potential except Horatio Ballard right and Ballard, and Horatio Ballard of, uh, I was just going to say Ballard kind of like had his own battles going on with his own clanmates. Ballard is too shrewd mm-hmm. to step up and take that that literally what he would probably more likely than not, I feel that character would see it as a bullseye. Right. If if he was Prince, people would want to kill him. Right? Because right. then now it's permissible. They could just oh I wanted to be Prince, so I just went at him. I think Ballard is like the stereotypical like smoky boardroom, like you walk in and they flip on a film and like they show like your family in a way that you've never seen them, and he's just like, "Any questions?" And then you're like, "No, what do I do first? And then you leave, and that's it. <laughs> like he to me, he's one of those. He's not really the guy who's going to sit on the throne front and center. Uh, I also uh, Alan Sovereign, like th- this picture of Alan Sovereign reminds me so closely of that original one. But like somehow they just made him look creepy and dark. It's like the glasses and the reflection over his eyes. Um, yeah, just love the character. <laughs> he looks like she drew him off of Sin City. Whoever right. drew that, <laughs> right? Right. Oh, man. It's the next one Bruce Willis has to fight. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, uh, that yellow bastard. <laughs> um. And then uh, Naomi Stewart, I'm I'm not familiar with that character. Um, no, she's new. 
Yeah, I, I was trying to figure out if she was, uh, what was that character's name, Princess? Yes. I was trying to figure out if that's the same character, and I don't think it is. Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't seem to, like, they look kind of similar in their pictures, but I don't think it's the same character. But either way. Um, and then, of well, course... Princess was kind of a poorly written character, really. Yeah, right, right. So, I mean, it's, it's good they did it. Right. So, either she was taken out or she has changed into this other character. I'm not quite sure. But... Um, then we have Sir Olaf, the one-eyed king, uh, who looks like he was uh, a hot chewed piece of bubblegum stuck under a desk. For now. Right, for now. <laughs> He's making a comeback. Um, <laughs> <laughs> He's going the slow route to the fast route. Yeah. Um, and then Edward Neely looks like every vampire from every vampire movie ever. Like, he just looks like, you know, I, I, I don't know how a better way to describe it. Great character. Um, he looks like someone Blade's about to jump. Right, right, like a Deacon Frost. It's on. Uh, right, right. And, but if I'm uh, correct, Neely was the uh, one of the Sabat guy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, he was the, he was the traitor to the Sabat. And then uh, we have Bobby, the Hurricane Weatherbottom, who's still there. Um, and you know, we all know him. Um, he seems to have gotten a haircut and a shave uh, since we saw him last. Um, because he, <laughs> cutting and shave. You mean he doesn't have the pimply face with the glasses? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> right. The the two thousands uh, really put him in contact with some styling gel and uh... Edward Neely or Bobby the Water Bottom, excuse me, has become the model. Right. <laughs> yeah, he looks like he's uh, spent a lot of time on uh, social media. You know, that's a lot of time say. on social media. um and then uh so we move on so uh, is there anybody or your else that you're like upset that isn't there or curious about uh no actually it's just uh was it helen troy miss nikolai i'm not even mad nikolai's not there i didn't say he's dead and even if he was it doesn't have to be in my game right right Uh, right, but he's 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 missing um that's that's it you know menelaus would have been nice to have in this book too but again uh maybe that was the problem having two in the old yeah. book, uh, offended people. Done it. Right, right, right. Um, yeah, the only other one that I was like a little curious about was, of course, Capone. But they tell you kind of in the beginning of the book, like Kevin Jackson was like, why the fuck would I keep that dude around? Um, and uh, yeah, so then it moves into um, the different coteries. And this is definitely like storyteller uh, oriented stuff. Very similar to what it was in the old Chicago books. Like having these coterie explanations is imperative for a storyteller to really know like who is friends with whom, uh, you know, who's pissed off at who, who works with who. So, um, yeah, it's, it's great, but it does the same thing that that old Chicago does. Um, and then, uh, it gives you some information on types of coteries for your players. And again, this is more system-based stuff, you know, use it or don't. Um, you know, it's not really something that I, that I would necessarily use unless my players kind of petitioned me to include it. I don't think stuff like this is important to to system out, but you know, that's just me. What is important is page two sixty one. The artwork there. Thank you. Oh yeah, it's it's just just thank you. It's just so good, um, and. Th- I, I really want to give special attention to, I'm not going to go over them, but um, these lore sheets, I love the idea of lore sheets. I love the concept of lore sheets. In fact, I think that they should be like their own 
thing. Like everyone should get access to a lore sheet because there's just so much rich material to access in this book um, that your players can get involved in. And I just feel like the more ways they can do that, the better. Um, I just really dig all the different lore sheets that they included. I think uh, I think they're awesome. Even even like just like the the first light, like having access to that. I think there needs to be more. Just give me more. Give me more lore sheets. Um, all right. So that's its own thing. And then <laughs> the Lasamba write up. That's the next chapter. So uh, any thoughts on that? I, I want to talk about something, and that's the cult of Shalim. Yes. I, I want to talk in the sense of what, what, what did you think of that lore sheet? Um, I it's it it was not something that I recall ever reading about in previous books. Um, I think it's cool to add a little bit of uh, flavor, you know, something that's new to it. But um, yeah, it's it's not one of my favorites, honestly. Okay. Okay. Well, uh, you know, as the lore sheet says, Shalim simply is. So, well, I'll, I'm waiting to see what this <laughs> develops into, because um, I feel on a level that this got lost in a diff- from a different game, uh huh, and landed here, right? Because it it is so left field, uh huh. It's just there's this cult of Shalim. It's a it's a Lasamra cult. It's uh. Maybe maybe not exclusively them. It doesn't really get that mm-hmm. much detail, but the Lasamra mentioned hush tones. Right. They're very uh it's very disturbing to them. It's a it's a scary thing, you know, what could be an oblivion, I suppose. Mm-hmm. And then as you go through the Lord individual powers, you're like, Oh, that okay. Well, I, I would say it's probably not even that it like came from a different game. I would say, you know, like all writers, you probably do some investigating into different cults or different things that exist in the real world. And there's probably some um, you know, version of this that exists in the real world. And so it's like, you know, maneuvered into the game, you know, it's, it's written and changed and altered so that it works in a, in a game context. And I'm fine with that, but you know, I don't, it's, it's, I have a problem with new stuff because I know where all the old stuff came from. Do you know what I mean? Like I have a problem with things that are like, this has been around for ages, but it really hasn't. Cause I read all those books and it wasn't there. Um, so now you're trying to pass it on to me like it's a new thing. You know, it's just, it's one of those. But yeah, whatever. I take it or leave it. Well, well, for me, looking at this, it's like, well, the lore sheets here are cool. And uh, they do have that element. You can't please everybody. And uh, that's it's all good. I just uh, have, been, have been thrown for a loop when I saw that. And then you go on to like the Society of Leopold and the Second Inquisition. And I was like, oh, wow. Um, it's like everybody's got their lore sheet here. And that's it's not a bad thing. It gives different ways for players to have uh, ammo to... Let me rephrase that. I feel the authors, the writers, the creators of V5 even knew. The number one player issue is that whenever a player comes to join a game, they have to have a reason. Right. Right, to yeah, be yeah, there. Yeah, of course. Yeah, and they never, sure. and they never, for whatever reason, players have an inability to write themselves in. Right. And or, or I never over, had that... Or they overdo it. You know, that's the other thing, too. Yep. It's, it's too much. I've never had that problem. But I, but I see it. Everybody wants to be special, want that limelight. And that's that's how you do it. These lore sheets are really what allow you to do it, where it's a nice middle ground for the players and storyteller to go, okay, yeah, good. Right. That's here. I know why you're here. What are you doing? Hey, so-and-so does have your number. Why don't you talk in the coterie? Let's, let's get this game going. 
Right, right. So um, on the subject of La Sombra and all that, um, I, I, you know, I don't have any issues with the write-up. I think the write-up is great for, you know, V5. But I do have a question, and maybe you can answer it. Maybe it's something that I've missed. Maybe it's a defect in my reading and retention and understanding. Why did they have to change the name of it from Obtenebration to Oblivion? Like, why did they have to give it a more, like, generic name? Was there, like, a reason ever given for that? Or um, I said I would give my true opinion on Oblivion, and I will. And I'll, I'll do it here, but first answer your question. I have no idea why you would change it fundamentally other than you change the rules. Right? right. So if you say it's Obtenebration still, people are going to refer to the old stuff. And right. you don't want them to think of the old stuff. So you refer it as Oblivion. And that draws your focus forward to what they intended. And knowing that it's a lot opinion, more than anything, it's uh, from someone who really just didn't like the feel of it. Um, I myself uh, can see that viewpoint and understand why changes were made. Um, however, what we're missing out on is, is a big proponent of what this could have been or what it could have been. Right? Mm-hmm. When I look at this and it's, uh, and it's ties... Obtenebration of itself is what I want to talk about. Gave the Lysambra a veritable religion that you can make from it. That's how I often saw it. It's, you know, staring into the abyss, the abyss stares into you, the abyss, the abyss, the abyss, darkness, abyss mysticism. This all had something to it. Right. And it added death to the clan and added a level of not only mystery, it explained why they are able to manipulate into the church because they understand, well, if you understand the dark, you get the light that much easier. And that's just, it's just a given, Right. And so you might say that they had inroads to naturally discover or whatever. But for me, when it switches from it, it clearly was an aesthetics principle issue more than a, than a deep-seated why. Does right. that make sense? Like, I, I know one of the big things was, ta- to me, I like tangible 3D tendrils that come out of seemingly nowhere. That's horrific. Mm-hmm. If you've ever seen uh, a movie where a monster has those tendrils that snake around the corner, Stephen King's Mist. Right. Right? When they're in that garage and that thing has that tendril that snakes in, comes up, opens up its many teeth and, yep. and claws and slams in the guy and just takes him out in the thing. You hear that guy's pitiful cries as he's going out. And I said, I said to myself, if that were a Lasombra standing out in a field that summoned the darkness to have that shape, and then that's where the tendrils came from to pull you in so that he, you know, you can be called for a masquerade violation. You know, someone's going to make a call, but it sounds insane. Right. They're not going to believe it, but then this dude gets brought to you and you feed and that's that. That's monstrous, but at the same time, oh, how potent that is. Good imagery, good way to go. And, you know, whatever. I was looking for more of a mechanics is what I'm saying. Uh-huh. Uh, not even mechanic. To me, the higher someone goes in obtenebration should have been a direct correlation to the humanity being taken away. Yeah, you were pulling I, I on a power. That, yeah. You're pulling on a power that is pulling on you. Right. And the more you use it, the more of a personality it takes on. Now, to let you know, I do that in our games. And right. anyone's ever played Lasabra in my game, if you've ever wondered why your shadows get more familiar, suddenly don't obey you now and again until you exert control, that's why. The more you use it, the more I want you to use it, the more that is. That's horror. Right. That's horror. You get power at sacrifice of the self. Oblivion is just a weapon or a tool. Well, the other kind of issue that I had with it was... It, it it is very apparent to me based on what is presented here that obtenebration and necromancy have been combined into one discipline called oblivion. And that's another thing. I don't know if the the folks that sat down to make V5, if they had an issue with like, oh, there's too many disciplines or, you know, these disciplines, they, they come from the same. I, 
I, I feel like it was kind of a, it's not broke, don't fix it scenario. So that's, that's the criticism I have with V5. As far as like what Oblivion is and what it has been presented to me as here, I, I mean, it reads like Uptenebration. You know, it's slightly different in certain areas. And so I don't really have a problem with that. But I do have a problem with Uptenebration, which is the manipulation of the abyss, the harnessing of darkness, and Necromancy, which is the blood ability to manipulate ghosts and entropy being combined into one discipline because they both kind of deal with death. I don't like that. So that's my problem with it. But um, as far as like the discipline that's presented here, seems seems cool. Seems cool enough. I agree with you. I think the uh, this the persist the discipline presented here actually helps a lot of people want to play with a little necromancy, but really like the idea of obtenebration. Mm-hmm. And you get to play with it in both worlds. It's 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 sort of a hodgepodge. Here's the problem though: when you're the jack of all trades, you're the master of none. Right. Right. I, I won't fear Alessandro in V5. No. You have no. Oblivion? Good. That means you can you can see your hand become ghost-like as I kill you. <laughs> right? Congratulations. I really don't care about you right. and Casper. All right? right. I have no right. no draw to it. There's no there's no sense that makes to me at all. Right. And the the side note of it is, jokes aside, I do think they really did give it give attention to everything, and meaning mechanically. Fairness, what the powers could and couldn't do. It's a great display. They meld well together. Just um they're no longer that mystic clan. Right. That I love. Well, and, they're no and, longer the. Yeah, that, that's like a common thing throughout uh, the entirety of, of the V5 is that the uniqueness of individual clans and some of their disciplines, which I think in a lot of ways really made those clans more entertaining, has been stripped away. Where, you know, like look at the followers of Set as an example. Um, you know, the, they're no longer called the followers of Set. And they no longer have that that discipline. They no, no longer have Serpentis, you know. So it's it, it's all the uniqueness that made individual clans like funky and fun to play with. Aside from like the core, for good or for ill, has been stripped away. And my my personal take on it is not a big fan of it. You know, that's that's just me. I, I can see the relevance. I can see why you would do that. I can see why you would make everything balanced and make everything, you know, easier to play Alessandra or, or, or to, to play, um, you know, the Hakata or whatever, but I don't necessarily agree with it. <laughs> I don't know necessarily think that I like it. At the, at the end of the day, whatever you, whatever you dumb down the, the points for in the power scale, whatever the reasoning is behind it, it has to come from the matter of players. Right. And it's clear players will never reach the heights of those cool powers and they're never used. So you had to chop down the six and up to make it to where players can get a hold of these powers. But in right. doing so, that means your six plus characters are going to be put back into that same power vacuum right. so that they could be takeable. And I say, take that away. Right. Take that away. What made them amazing was that they were on such a level that you couldn't touch them. And because of that, that was awesome. That if you did have a game where players can aspire to get there, they could. And they have to figure out a way to get there, and it's impossible to do. But guess what? If I'm Hercules and I killed an immediate lion, I wear the fucking cloak, yeah. right? I get to wear the skin, and that's right. and that's how it is. And but if I'm like so many other would-be heroes, I go there and die, and the lion gets a meal. That's why you don't tackle the immediate lion unless you're Hercules, right? All right. So um, moving right along, we get into like the core bit of storyteller section. Um, and what I mean by that is, um, those of you who are familiar with the Chicago by Night book, you may know. 
that um, there is a story, the story of the La Sombra uh, joining into the Camarilla. Um, that is going to be not the chapter, not seven, but chapter eight. And seven is what I was talking about earlier. Uh, it's a storytelling chapter that provides you little seeds. And I actually really like this. I hope they continue to do this in all the books in the future where they don't give you this full story. They go, hey, here's a scene. Here's something you could build a story off of. Here's some things that could happen. They give you ideas as a storyteller. Um, and so I don't want to go into these at all because no. I want you as a storyteller to read these. I just think this is one of the, I love it. I just think it's a great addition to this. And also, um, I, I don't want to go into the sacrifice at all because there's a whole other actual play podcast out there um, that you can go listen to, to, to hear that if you want to. Um, but uh, it's there. That's the story. Um, but you want to read it if, when you get this book, because it's, it's, it's the writing's well, it's yeah. well done. Yeah. Well done. Yeah. Uh, the storytelling chapters, we often tend to like skate through and that's because it's for you as a storyteller. It's really kind of like, I don't know. It's like uh, the Easter egg. It's like the, it's like Christmas dinner or something like you sit down and you enjoy it as a storyteller and you get to present it to your players. And if you're a player, we definitely don't want to ruin it for you. Um, cause that would just suck. Um, but, uh, yeah, both of them, very good chapters. Um, usually we're not big fans of like stories uh, as presented, but I think this is a really important one just from the perspective of how the Lasombra end up, you know, potentially joining the Camarilla or not. Um, and uh, it's worth the read on its own. So uh, I think that's about it, Bob. I think that pretty much wraps up the book. There's a bunch of tables in the back and tables are, are a good thing. <laughs> so, <laughs> There's a bunch of tables in the back. That's what yeah. you got. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's why what I, don't forget that's the tables. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot, lots of cool. So, uh, so let me explain the tables. Yeah. We mentioned this before, the spirit of the city. Right. That's where's referencing these tables and where to use them. Right, right. More tools to help you as a storyteller um, to, you know, have little things happen um, to make your game seem more alive, um, you know, for lack of a better way to put it. Um, you know, give your players something to do and have an outcome for success or for failure. Um, spirit of the cities for sure. All right. That's about it, Right. That is it. That is actually the entire book. Now, we don't have the actual physical copy in our hands yet, because um, I don't think anybody does. They haven't been shipped out yet, um, but they will be coming soon. And at that point, I assume they'll be available for purchase at DriveThruRPG and Onyx Pass website, wherever. But any final thoughts about this book this is where I was getting at. Well, it's, it's kind of weird that we do that. We gushed all over the damn book except for two points, which are really just opinion. Right. So it's all opinion, but that's really like, that's for sure. We could say that was Bob's opinion. It was Nate's opinion, but and you I feel, give your own. I, I feel like our, our, our issue, at least my issues with the book are strictly V5 related. And that might seem like no shit. It's a V5 book. However, I will argue to the ends of the earth with you on that. This is a vampire, the masquerade book. Uh, it uses V5 rules, but I've already used it in my V20 game. So, yeah. you know, tough shit. It's a great book. That, that. So I, it's, there's there's no there's no point. It is a great book. It is a must buy. Yeah, and y'all all of you will get it. I um, know you will. Here here's my final thought on this book. This book makes me want to play V five. 
Um, simple as that. This is the first book of the V5 line where I was like, no, you know what? I'm really, I really want to give this uh, a thought because this just pulls me right into the game. The Camarilla and the Anarch book, they are what they are. We've, we've talked about them to exhaustion. But this book really brings me back into the world of darkness in a way that those books didn't. And it, I think it pairs super well with the main core book, and it makes me want to not only play that V5, but get the other ones that are coming out so that I can know more about the world that I love. And that's <laughs> it. Well, it's it, and I, I agree. Yeah. All right. Well, we liked it. Uh, we enjoyed it immensely. Um, next week, we will be back with another review. I think we'll be doing Dark Ages. We're also going to be um, talking to Thomas from Flyos Games sometime in the near future about chapters. Um, we've got some new information, some ways that you can help out our show. Um, so until then, thank you for listening, and thank you for being with us over the holidays. And Bob, do you have anything else you'd like to add? I love each and every one of you. Thank you for all that you've done. It's uh it's an amazing last couple of years, and I look forward to a couple more, man. It's, uh, let's keep this going. Cool. All right. Um, well, we'll probably have a Nerd Words up next week. We'll, we'll, we'll talk more about uh, our holiday debauchery and debacles. But until then, I am Nathan. And I'm Bob. And we will talk to you later. Thank you for listening to 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. If you like our podcast and you'd like to help support our show, consider backing us at patreon.com forward slash 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. We offer reward tiers of additional Patreon-only podcasts, t-shirts, and personalized gaming experiences. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and go to our website, utilitymuffinlabs.com, for links to all of our social media, additional podcasts, and more. If you'd like to chat with us, submit a title for review, promote your gaming-related stuff or anything else you can think of email me at nathan at utilitymuffinlabs.com utility muffin labs consistently rated adequate